more questions? Okay. So, um, so I sent out this this prompt, um, the or the the description of the what the talk was going to be, and then I sat down. Okay, this is really stupid, but you you everyone knows what I'm going to say now. I edited it slightly, and then I fed it into ChatGPT. <laughs> I asked ChatGPT to write a, you know, five or six paragraph Zen Dharma talk um, <laughs> based on the course description or the class description. And, and I have to say, ChatGPT failed appallingly at it. It, it. it didn't really know what the, the numbers of the precepts were and, and, it, and, it, and it, it regurgitated a lot of stuff in the, in the, in the prompt or the, or the description, but then really didn't say much else. And it, and it kind of did a lot of hand-waving and all the rest of that sort of thing. And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know, this can write a New Yorker article. <laughs> But it can't yet give a Dharma talk. <laughs> so, and that's the last time I'm going to mention ChatGPT, probably ever. Because <laughs> literally every single article in the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Atlantic, and, and you know, pretty much everything else that I've read starts up, and then about a paragraph or two later, it says, oh, and ChatGPT wrote these first two, first two paragraphs. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> but anyway, be that as it may. So the last five precepts in the, in the set of Zen precepts are, are, you know, the first five are completely standard throughout the entire Buddhist world, pretty much all Buddhist sects as far as I know and so on, right? The second five are, are kind of not. They're, they, were, they were made up um, by, I think, the Tendai school when, when they decided to reform the ordination ceremony to make it a little bit less complicated, right? And in particular, reform the the set of precepts to make it a little bit less complicated. Um, and, and, it's, and, they're, and they're a peculiar choice in that, so they are not to disparage essentially, not, so Michael talked about this one, not to praise self at the expense of others, um, uh, not to, to be stingy or harbor ill will, and not to uh, to abuse or disparage the three treasures, which is to say the the foundations of Buddhism, right? Um, and you look at them and you think, yeah, okay, you know what these are all about? They're all about human sociality and the ways it can go wrong, and the ways in particular that it can go wrong in the context of a of a group, uh, uh, an activity like Buddhist practice where, where human relations and, where, and cooperation are like incredibly important, right? Um, 
and you know, and and you know, generally, right? The you know, so if you work for a work for a company, um, I'd be willing to bet that there's some disparaging of others and you know, praising of self at the expense of others, um, and maybe some harboring of ill will and being stingy in the context of the operations of that company, because that's the way people are, right? They do those things, right? It's been the 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 ten grave precepts are are essentially held up in front of the eyes of of Buddhist initiates, ordinands, you know, etc. Um, as the ten ways we're most likely to screw this stuff up, right? And 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 the last five of them all have to do with human sociality, essentially. Um, so, I decided to, so obviously, disparaging others, praising yourself at the expense of others, and, um, and disparaging or, ab or abusing the three treasures are essentially modes of outer conduct, right? They're, they're about how people behave in the world, right? The, the interesting thing about the eighth and ninth precept is they're about inner conduct. They're about how you behave inside in a way that affects the way you behave in the outer world. Um, so, and they're like, okay, so again, so the first one I think is, um, I forget which order they're in, but anyway, so, you know, don't be, um, don't be stingy. It's or don't. Well, okay. So Aitken translates it in this really eccentric way. He says, "Don't spare the Dharma assets," <laughs> which I, every time I I, I teach the, about the precepts using that book, I'm like, "Why did he call it this?" But anyway, um, on the other hand, Rev just says, "Don't be possessive." Okay, so. Um, and you can see how those two things are related, but um, and and it, it uh, in some of the ceremonies it gets it gets sort of commented on or labeled as stinginess, right? So it's like it's this way in which that everybody recognizes that we can um, we we can be grabby about. Lots of stuff, things, relationships, ideas, um, uh, social status, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We can be, uh, we can be possessive or, or withholding about it, right, in ways that are that are almost always destructive to human relations, social relations, right. Um, and then the other one is don't harbor ill will, although it can. Again, sort of eccentrically translated it, it's as um, don't indulge anger, right? But it, but it, again, it has this quality of you know, everybody knows what it feels like to carry a load of ill will against somebody in their life, right? Everyone's done it at least once. Right? Um, and... I guess what I'd say about about them is this: they're they're this unique kind of window into human inner conduct that that 
is tangled up with this really, really super important mechanism that's part, that we, that's part of all of us, right? They're like special cases of this um, this inner mechanism called harboring that you could call harboring that's that are that's a special case of of this inner mechanism that everybody engages in pretty much all the time called we could call it self narration right i mean we're constantly telling ourselves the story of our lives and who and the story of who we are right that's kind of what we do and and it's a way of Well, okay. in order to um, to demonstrate what I was talking about earlier, I am going to change into Seiza to, to finish this talk. So here we go. <laughs> I think I've talked about this before, but All life both is and does apply some mechanism of memory to the present moment in order to select future outcomes. That's what life does, really. Right? And, and that includes, even includes viruses. Right. And probably some stuff that we don't consider alive at all. But, um, and in humans, it's it's like almost impossibly multi-layered. Like like you've got you've got a you've got a whole bunch of viruses first of all right? <laughs> that are just floating around in there. But uh, but also we've got we've got this huge array of cells and 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 also. Um, you know, bacterial passengers in our microbiome, and they're all doing exactly this. They're they're carrying around this the, these memory mechanisms, and they're applying them to the present moment um, over and over and over again. And you know, and they're pretty good at it. <laughs> and then, th in addition, we have we have layer upon layer on top of that. But it, at one layer, at the layer of the of our kind of Future planning, language using, self construct. We're actually we're actually using narration, right? Uh, we're using storytelling to construct and maintain our ideas about the self, right? That's what we do. Um, and it's and again, it takes up a lot of time. And it and if you think about the the amount of the, just the the, the calories of energy that are soaked up by self-narration, it's, it's like appalling how, how much energy it takes, right? So we're just, we're just burning the candle at all possible ends in order to, to maintain this story, right? And, and, and it's, you know, lest we, you think I'm putting that down, right? It has a lot of positive aspects to to have a self construct, right? It, and to have a an idea about the self, to have a have um, 
have, you know, motivational components in our, in our self-narrative that, um, that allow for the pursuit of goals and all the rest of that stuff. It's not fundamentally a bad thing, right? Um, I mean, you could argue that, the, I mean, you know, if you, let's say you, you were to pick up the, the Mumon Khan, right, the famous old Khan collection, and you read the first case, and the first case is, um, is a monk asks Zhao Zhou, hey, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? And Zhao Zhou goes, not. <laughs> and then Mumon, the author of the collection, jumps in and he says, so, basically, this is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, basically, do you want to live an awakened life? Then you have to break through the barrier that's presented by this weirdly paradoxical story that you just read. And, um, and if you do that, you'll be able to walk along with Zhao Zhou seeing through his eyes. And he really, he even says like, who doesn't want to do that, right? So get with it. <laughs> and, and, you know, and what do you do when you're a, you know, young impressionable Zen student and you pick up the, the Mumon Khan and you, and you read that, you glue that onto your self-narrative in a way that, that makes it your own, right? And fundamentally, that's not bad, right? But the, it, but it has these problematic functions if you, well, I mean, it should, you know, it should be obvious how it could go wrong, right? So you're, the, the, the way, let's say, the harboring of ill will, the, the standard model for the harboring of ill will is that there's some disruptive, um, you have some disruptive, uncomfortable experience, right? Maybe involving some people, maybe not. Maybe you can harbor ill will, um, you know, at, about an event that happened with nobody else around, right? But in any case, what happens is you, in the in the in your self narrative, you revisit that story over and over and over again. And and if you if you watch how that works for you, I think you'll agree that um, you're constantly telling that story and unearthing the, the feelings. And one of the, one of the functions of that is to literally, like I said earlier, to arrange it so that it, it won't happen again, or that if it happens again, you'll, um, you'll, you'll behave differently or something like that. Because, because usually the, this experience that we're talking about was sufficiently unpleasant that you'd, you don't want to repeat it, right? And so with, when it comes to people, I think we can all agree that we find ourselves remembering a particular encounter and going, well, I should have said this, right? <laughs> or, um, or, or imagining oneself saying, the, you know, saying something different, doing something different, acting in a way that works out better, works out to be more comfortable, right? Or, or allows one to feel like they won, or something like that. Um, 
because the ideal that we have for our self-construct is that it's, um, you know, self-consistent, persistent, um, a, you know, a whole thing, right, a, a, a unitary, and, um, and slightly heroic by whatever standards we, um, we would like to apply as heroic, right? Um, and you can see how that, this, is, this could only fail, right? Like, the, the future is never like the past, right? And the people that you're applying this stuff to are often not the same. You know, you you have a you imagine a bad event, and then you then later on you pattern match that memory with something that's how, and you dredge up all those feelings and apply them to the present moment. No, that's not a really good idea. <laughs> Sometimes it works, but not very often actually. Um, and and so those are ways in which this this kind of thing can go wrong, right? The, with the stinginess, it's like, it's based on some idea that there's not enough, right? And if there's not enough, then when, when some satisfactory, positive, enjoyable event, relationship, you know, experience, whatever happens, um, it's really easy to go, okay, that's really what I want, and I have to have all of it, right? And to tell, this, tell that story in such a way that the, the pursuit and guarding and hoarding of that thing, whatever it is, is turns into a poison that, again, it um, uh, can really ruin relationships, right? Um, and at least broadcast a, a kind of negative emotional quality that um, is not very great for relationships. Um, let's see, what time is it? So the precept, the precepts eight and nine, say don't do this, right? But since it's since these negative features of our of our you know inner conduct are entangled with this thing that's really one of the most important aspects of our humanity, you have to be careful about how you do that, right? So if you if you pick apart, don't do them a little bit more. The first part is, and don't make things worse. Okay, <laughs> right. Whatever else is going on, if you if you even have a little inkling that you might make the situation worse by acting on your on your the, your habitual response, either driven by the harboring of ill will or or your kind of you know tendency to be stingy, then don't do it. Right. But that's not a that's not a prescription for liberation that's a prescription essentially for white knuckling right so the 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 liberatory part goes like this to study deeply in all the moments of your life when you're paying attention the actual functioning of your self narration and the way that it leads both to 
positive and negative outcomes, how it works, what the associated feelings are, and everyone's version of this human condition is different because we all, it's all based on the details of our conditioning, right? Um, so to study your own as intimately as you possibly can and to, and to, and to bring to it a kind of compassion and grandmotherly acceptance, which is the only way to really befriend the, the, the sort of half-formed entities in, that we carry around with us that are enacting this stuff. Like I, I've probably told this story before, but years ago I was bathing at Tassajara and there were people walking around in the space and all that sort of thing. And I realized that somewhere deep down inside me, there was this creature that was going, this is dangerous, <laughs> don't do this, right? And, and I realized that I've been having a conversation with, with that one ever since I was three or four, basically, right? And they've, they've always been down there doing that. And sometimes they have an impact and sometimes they don't. But when you finally meet them, something else can happen, basically. When, when you can allow your, the things of your inner life to step forward and describe themselves and be met compassionately, then all of a sudden it's a different world, right? And the, the trick to that is to hold them in this broader context of big mind, right? It's when, you know, when people talk about big mind, the, there, there can be a presumption that nothing else is going on than the bigness. But actually, the interesting thing about big mind is in the context of big mind, nothing is hidden, including that little creature that's been living in your body since you were three and, tell, and going, look out! <laughs> so anyway, um, that's the transformative and liberatory portion of it. Right? So don't make it worse and practice with it and watch what happens after. So, does anyone have any questions about that before we move on? We, I think we might have time for a little discussion. Go ahead. <laughs> 